at our family at dinner time, uh, quite often, uh, not all the time, but quite often we'll have uh, a time where we share highlights. Sometimes we share lowlights. Uh, in my community group, we do a sharing time, and um, probably at least once a month, uh, we just kind of share what's been a highlight in our life. Uh, we, in my group in particular, we, uh, we had one week in the last month, we had 23 people in our community group, and uh, 12 of those were adults and 11 were children. And uh, we facilitate a kid's kind of elementary age time as a part of its great uh, time. One of my members recently said, so I've heard something about multiplication. You know, like there's a number when, when sometime maybe you should, you know, multiply this group into two. What's that number? I said, well, usually about 16, 17. Oh, then what are we going to do? <laughs> and how does that work with kids and all that? So anyway, it, it was cool. Um, but anyway... Highlight there, sidelight. Um, for me, one of the very, very regular highlights in my life is my time of connecting with God in the mornings. Um, can't say that that's always. Sometimes I have some pretty cool situations with family and friends and work situations. But, but to a great degree, uh, I have found over the last 11, 12 years that every time I go to God's Word, maybe once a year, it isn't significant. But I mean, that's, that's pretty... That's pretty minor. Very, very significant highlight. I am so encouraged and helped uh, to live my life according to God's ways and pleasing uh, to him. And honestly, what I find is that if I'm not having that regular, consistent time of, of looking into God's word, I forget what it says. I'll remember the big things, of course. You know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I'm supposed to love you even though I don't like you. No, um, <clears throat> That's what we think, but that's not what it says. See, that's where we miss the mark. Anyway, um, and I, I just find within that just an incredible encouragement. And I would, I would so encourage you, uh, if you are a follower of Christ uh, and you're not regularly having that kind of a time of connecting with him, you're missing it. You're not bad. You're missing it. Um, and I would highly encourage you to uh, try and capture, find that slot, a break time at work, uh, after the kids go to bed at night, uh, find that slot for you where you can um, expose yourself to God's word. If you've read it once, great. If you've read it a hundred times, great. Read it again. Uh, there's more there for us uh, each time. I've been reading God's word for, I'm 51. I've been doing this since I was 10-ish, right? You know, probably. Um, and it is, it is revelation to me every single time I open it. That being said, as we look into God's word, it brings us an understanding of God and his ways that we cannot know if all we do is simply walk in the world. Though our world was created good and perfect, there was a power released when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's plan for life for them and humankind. That power's purpose, Jesus said in John 10.10, was the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. God's purpose, Christ's purpose, the reason he came is to give us life in all of its fullness. Jesus, God's one and only son, we're told in John, 1 John chapter 3, came to earth to destroy the works of the devil and offer to each one of us a new way of life that would restore the joy and the fullness that God intended for us to experience. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 and 16, Moses told the people of Israel about this new way of life. 
And he gave them an opportunity to choose Satan's plan of destruction or God's plan for life in all its fullness. This is what he said. He said, now listen. Today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. Perish. You will not live a long and good life in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. So here we see this declaration, very parallel to what Jesus said when he said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's near, repent and welcome this good news. In this talk, Moses said that there's two things you need that will lead to this superabundant life. The first is to love the Lord your God. And secondly, to walk in his ways. To love God, as I mentioned last week, is to give him first place in our life. First over our time, our relationships, our career, our money, our thoughts, our goals, our use of the internet, what we watch, read, and listen to. Everything. Make him first. Make him the priority over all those things. The only path that leads to this abundant, fulfilling life is love for God. Every other path leads to destruction, to perish. The only path is God's way. The second thing Moses told the people of Israel was that they needed to walk in God's ways. Which is not so much about changing our behavior as it is living in a new realm and culture. To live in God's realm and according to God's ways rather than the ways of the world. Uh, This summer, as Martha mentioned, there's a team from our church going to Hungary. And uh, we're going to be working with John and Jofi Wilson, who were members of our church for, uh, John was members for a number of years. Uh, Jofi is Hungarian. Uh, They had met on a previous uh, short-term mission trip of John's, uh, remained in contact. John was a part of our church after graduating from college, was able to uh, be a support to us, and we uh, commissioning and equipping to him. Uh, One of the things that John is going to do for our team the first couple of days that we're there is to teach and train us about the Hungarian culture and their way of life so that we can be sensitive and caring towards them while we're among them. Uh, Martha, uh, who spoke to you just a moment ago, uh, is going on the team, and she also uh, was a part of a couple of uh, few gals that flew over to be there for their wedding, which was in Hungary, and was able to identify to us as a team yesterday when we met for prayer that it is significantly <clears throat> a different culture to go there. She said primarily because of the language. And she said, you know, she's been to Mexico or other countries or places, and, and, and we're somewhat familiar with the language, especially us here in San Antonio. We're familiar with, uh, you know, Spanish. She said there... They speak, and they sound like they're talking in tongues. And uh, actually, she shared something kind of cool. She said, after a while, it was almost like she was getting kind of an interpretation of what they were saying and was able to connect with them. God just kind of came and is part of it. So we're looking forward to that uh, happening for our team. Well, I share all that to say that um, just as John, John particularly, of course, has had to be trained in the culture 
Um, and just as if, you know, just in, he's going to give us two days of a cultural understanding of that culture. There's no way that that's sufficient time to fully grasp what we need to be the most effective there. And that's true regarding the ways of God, regarding the realm of God. Uh, we can't just get saved and, and think, oh, hot dog is all here, we got it, we know it. It's not the case. In fact, we're going to look at a story today where we see that these elements of the culture of this world that are a part of our lives, that are so familiar, are not always immediately eliminated at our conversion. Over the last six months or so, as the world's economy has gone through, gone through this uh, very significant crisis, there's been a lot of talk about bailouts. And uh, I, I pulled that word up on the internet to make sure I was spelling it right. I didn't know if it was two words or one. And uh, my gosh, there were, you know, on Google, there's these tired of seeing, hearing the word bailout. You know, it was kind of, I just thought it was interesting. And um, anyway, occasionally, uh, you know, there's talk about helping individuals, but it, it sure seems like it's just at this large corporate uh, financial institution, large manufacturers, that there's most conversation. Well, as a church, we are quite concerned uh, for you, as well as your families and our community. And when our board of trustees was away a couple of months ago for prayer and uh, planning, uh, we spent time praying, asking God what, what he wanted for us uh, to be sharing here on Sundays, what was, what was he wanting us to focus on over this next year. And one of those uh, was this arena of finances. And um, so... That's what we're doing uh, for the next couple months or so. Uh, many of us, of course, have been instructed uh, in many elements of finances, uh, particularly you know, biblical finances such as giving and tithing. But um, many topics have been left really pretty uncovered. Things like interest and debt are not usually talked about in church. Uh, but God has something to say about it. Uh, some of us may have ideas about sowing and reaping, but uh, many of us don't really fully grasp that there is a significant power behind money, uh, or we don't really understand the uh, principle of increasing fruits of righteousness. So in a day and time when the world's financial system is sort of swirling out of control, we as Christians should have the answers. We should be the ones that are able to help our friends and loved ones in their time of distress. We should be the ones with surplus to aid and bail out others in need, not the U.S. government. So we're going to be talking over the next couple of months about God's bailout package um, and God's ways as they are related to finance. Last week, I introduced us to seven biblical financial building blocks that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. And I want to just very quickly just uh, highlight them again. In your programs, you received a handout. A uh, white sheet of paper, one side um, fairly blank, says group exercise, then individual exercise. On the back are these seven uh, building blocks, and uh, would encourage you to jot down on them. I've got some fill-in-the-blanks there, just kind of for those of you who need to doodle. Um, if, if you've got photographic memory, then you're going to be good. Um, so anyway, all right. I'm just going to run through these fairly uh, quickly. Uh, first principle that we're going to be uh, discussing and that I'll be looking at today is recognize and renounce the spirit of mammon. Before we can grow and implement God's many truths relative to finances, we have to understand there is a powerful force that is vying for first place in our lives. A key passage there is Matthew 6:24. Uh, second truth is establish sparrow faith. 
this has to do with settling the issue of making God first, uh, renouncing the spirit of mammon, and then settling the issue of who is our source. Uh, passage there is Matthew 6:26. Third truth, establishing the tithe. Uh, we've heard about that before, but I believe that I've got um, a little bit different kick on it uh, this time that might be encouraging to you. Uh, Leviticus 27:30. Um, truth four, uh, becoming God's manager has to do with learning uh, that everything we have is God's, that we are simply his steward, his manager of what is his. A uh, couple of different key verses there, 1 Corinthians 10:26, Matthew 25:29. The fifth truth we'll look at is uh, we're calling close the circle. And this has to do with answering the question, how much is enough? Again, a, a topic that I, I don't think many of us have visited in our lives or thought that we even needed to. A key verse there is Psalms 25, 12 through 13. Um, a sixth truth we're going to look at is uh, stepping up to our debt. Um, as I mentioned, I don't believe that many of us have been taught what God's word has to say about interest and debt. It's pretty clear. There's really a lot in there about it. Um, a verse uh, there that touches on it, Haggai 1, uh, verses 5 and 6, deals with the problem of debt. And then the, the last uh, truth that we're going to deal with is called become a financial eunuch. And I mentioned last week that I really didn't want to use that word. Uh, I thought it was awfully negative. Uh, but as I uh, prayed and looked and considered, uh, it, it really was an appropriate word for what we're going to talk about in that particular section. Um, the key verse there is Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Then I touched on last week, and we're going to spend some time after we discuss these truths, looking at another passage where particularly uh, God identifies what can life look like for us, what is his intention for us uh, when these things are in place in our lives. When we are walking in his ways according to uh, this arena of money and finances, what does that look like? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, out of the Amplified uh, Version says, And God is able to make all grace come to you in abundance, so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Now that is an incredible picture of God's financial bailout package. That's what he wants every Christian's life to look like. But we can't get there by just thinking, Hot dog, I'm a Christian now. Come on, God, give it to me. Um, it says at the very first verse, God is able to do these things, to make this happen. It doesn't say God will make this happen. It is contingent upon these truths being at play in place in our lives. So we want to touch on this. And we really, um, I, I mentioned last week that as Claire and I have prepared and, and prayed and sought the Lord relating to this, that there are areas of this material that we have not yet fully grasped and implemented. In fact, we've got a, a, a personal retreat in a couple of weeks that she and I are going to go just an overnight, particularly to wrestle through work on this area of Close the Circle. Um, we've had budget before. And we've done a good job of, of um, being pretty faithful stewards of what God has given to us. 
we currently don't have any debt except for our house. Um, so some things are pretty well in place. But as, as we made this study, this, this topic, this understanding about close the circle, how much is enough, is something we and she and I have never addressed. Uh, didn't know I needed to. And so we're going to actually go away for a time to try and hear God's voice and, and understand this. All right, so before we head into our topic for this morning, uh, I'd like to just pray and uh, welcome God's presence. Father, I do uh, thank you for um, your tremendous provision and grace in our lives. Um, While we were yet needy, while we were yet shaking our fist in your face, you sent your son to die for us, to make a way for us, to have a restored, uh, vitalized, fulfilling life. We thank you for your mercy because, Lord, we're not worthy of it. We don't get any more worthy of it the the longer we're Christians. Uh, We're always in need of your mercy. But we thank you as well that you are about the work of sanctification, of transformation, of uh, enabling us, changing us, transforming us to become more and more like Jesus. And as we consider this uh, particular topic of finances, Many of us, Lord, are are out of order in some of these regards. And I pray that you would help us to to welcome what you're saying to us. Uh, Father, I know that um, uh, I'm not perfect in in what I share. I uh, I stumble at times. Um, My thoughts are perhaps not as coherent as as would be helpful. Uh, But I welcome you now uh, to take uh, these scriptures these principles and and live in them to us uh, that we might be transformed and that we might become the kind of people that Paul uh, shared there in 2 Corinthians 9.8. Father, for our guests that are here in particular, I pray, Lord, for those things that are pressing and weighing upon them that you would just come and bring and give them peace right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin uh, with a verse where Jesus speaks about this topic of mammon. Matthew 6:24 That's a nice little ring. Please turn off all cell phones. Thank you. No one can serve two masters. You can't listen to your pastor and answer your cell phone at the same time. It's just impossible. <laughs> For either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mamonas. Now, all of your translations are going to say money or wealth. The Greek word transliterated there is mamonas, mammon. We might, trans, we might transliterize it into English. And I have maintained the Greek transliteration for us because I believe it's important for us to see its context here. So let's talk for a moment about the meaning of this. All translators in our current translations have translated money or wealth. So let's, this, let's kind of see if there's any distinction in this, what Jesus meant here between that and those things. First, um, it's helpful to know that this word, mamonas, is only used four times in the New Testament. Um, it's here in Matthew 6:24, and all three of the others are in Luke 16. And all four times it's used, it's on the lips of Jesus. Paul doesn't refer back to or use this word, though he touches on the principle and the concept. Jesus is the only one. 
It's also important to see that whatever mammon is, Jesus places it in a position that is diametrically opposed to God. Whatever it is, it competes with God to be loved and served. When Jesus said that God and mammon could not both be served, he wasn't giving us a prohibition. Instead, he was saying, this is an impossibility. You cannot do this. It is not possible. Not just don't do that. Jesus is not saying it would be wrong to try and love and serve both God and mammon. But rather, he is saying it is impossible to love and serve both God and mammon. God and mammon are opposites. And as a result, both cannot be loved and served at the same time. Loving and serving one precludes loving and serving the other. Thus, either God or mammon can only be loved exclusively, can only be served exclusively. Jesus is saying then then that in order to love and serve God completely, one must have nothing to do with mammon. Now, If mammon is synonymous with money or wealth, then the appropriate conclusion from this would be that the Christian should totally renounce and abstain from any participation with money and wealth. Because that's what Jesus says our attitude is supposed to be about mammon. Have nothing to do with it. It is impossible to participate in love, encounter, use, mammon and God. So we got a little bit of a challenge here because we live in a world and systems where money and wealth are fairly significant and a little challenging to get by with. Okay, we can get rid of our checkbooks and our credit cards, but then what are you going to use? Cash. Maybe a good thing for many of us who are struggling in our finances. But what are you going to do if you don't have that? Give them rocks? Diamonds, gold, that's been used in the past, right? Wealth. There also are people in the past, and and some today, who have believed this concept that they should have nothing to do with money or wealth, and they have taken vows of poverty and attempted to avoid all contact with money in an attempt to be wholly devoted to God. A challenge, though, with this is that taking a vow of poverty still does not necessarily free one from greed or the fear of lack of provision. Now let me give you a a definition from the Theological Dictionary in the New Testament, a very, very reputable Greek language tool. It says this, The Greek word mamona seems to come from an Aramaic noun which most probably derives from the root mame. Everybody got that? What, What that's saying is... You knew that. Okay, good. Um, What that's saying is that this tool, this incredibly reputable tool, is saying seems to come from. It's only used four times by Jesus. It is an old term. Jesus is using a term. He's going back into history to pull forward a term that it was not common in his day but I believe that was understood by the people of his day and probably went, really? 
because do you know what the word mame means? What? You have my notes. That's cheating. Well, I'm going to tell you, or I'll let uh, Marissa tell you. Listen to this. It is the Hebrew word that means that in which one trusts. That in which one trusts. That, that is an applicable approach, but it won't be sufficient. And I think that takes us to beyond this simple translation of this being money or wealth to something more significant. In selecting this word, mamonas, Jesus chose this ancient Aramaic word, I believe, to denote an entity or spirit that exists in the heavenly realm, which ancient peoples had worshipped as a god or deity of finance. Every culture and religion has a name or names for the gods or deities they worship. Uh, Three Canaanite gods that are named in the Old Testament that we can read and see there are El, the father of all gods and humankind. Uh, Asherah was a mother goddess considered the queen of heaven. And then Baal, which was the Canaanite god of fertility. And there's also a female one uh, in my studies yesterday, I realized. We, all three of those titles and terms <clears throat> are referred to by the prophets when they speak of um, getting rid of the gods, the Canaanite gods around you. Well, in in Western culture, as an outcome of the Age of Enlightenment, the rise of rationalism in which the criterion of truth is no longer sensory uh, but intellectual, deductive, Uh, the idea of demons, spirits, angels, God, for that matter, are no longer rational. In the 60s, there was the statement, God is dead. This element of the supernatural spirits, demons, angels, is not rational. It doesn't fit with the training of the Enlightenment and rationalism. So in our culture today, predominantly to a great degree, many, many people have simply ruled out that supernatural element. They might say, okay, there's a deity, God kind of a thing, but, you know, we're, we're here dealing with uh, our own stuff, and that's all there is. But the Bible very, very clearly portrays a presence of spiritual powers and influences that are in some locations called demons in the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul, I think, gives us a very, very clear description of these spiritual powers in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where he says this, Our struggle, our struggle with our finances, our struggle with our lusts, our struggle in our relationships, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your kids or your parents or your work employees. Our battle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul here names a variety of kinds of entities, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil, all in the heavenly realm. There is a distinction between our earthly, physical, rational realm and this spiritual, heavenly realm. 
where God, the Holy Spirit, angels, and demonic powers exist. I believe that the mammon spirit that Jesus speaks of fits in this category of a cosmic power or a spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realm. That particularly has a job, an appointment to influence the hearts of humankind to love and serve money in our physical realm. Frequently throughout their history, the Israelites had been tempted to worship the gods of the peoples in whose land they lived. On many occasions, the people were called to forsake their love and service to these other gods of the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the otherites. And a question we need to consider when we think about that is what was the nature of those false gods? I think there is, a again, out of our rational training, uh, there is an easy place to go to simply conclude, well, those were just human-created idols. They were the Asherah pole, similar to a totem pole, was made from wood and carved with images and faces on it. It was a piece of wood. So was it, in fact, just a piece of wood or stone or rock? Or were there spiritual powers behind those false gods? And if so, were they the same demonic powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm that the Apostle Paul is talking about? And then if that's the case, are they still here today? Or have they, did they somewhere, somewhere in history go away? I mean, Jesus cast a thousand of them out, that one, what, that one guy, right? Didn't that take care of all of them? I don't know. If a thousand were in that one... I'd hate to think how many are in this room. We all struggle, we all struggle with powers and forces in the heavenly realms that's, that's goal is to destroy and kill us and our relationship with God. Many Christian leaders, most Christian leaders and educators believe that while there was simply a wooden pole or a stone rock, that behind those was a force, a power, a principality of evil that was leading people from God to serve and love these other forces. So when Jesus stated that you cannot serve both God and mammon, it appears that he was contrasting two spiritual entities. Not God and paper. Not God and metal. But God and another spiritual force that wants you to worship it. In the same way that God desires our love and service, so does the spirit of mammon. Just as God wants to be our master, so mammon wants to be our master. As there was a temptation for the Israelites to worship the false gods of El, Asherah, and Baal, so there is today a temptation for us to love and serve mammon rather than God. And so the battle continues over the hearts of humankind, both Christians and non, and the love and service that we have to offer to the gods. So what is mammon? Mammon is an evil 
cosmic power, a demonic spiritual force that resides in the heavenly realms. Its task or purpose is to influence the hearts of humankind to love and serve money in this physical realm. Money in and of itself is impotent. Money has no power. The Asherah pole, that stick of wood carved with images, had no power. It's a piece of wood. One of the prophets even talks about that. A man goes out to his, uh, you know, to the, the forest and he cuts down a tree. And out of half of it he carves an image of God and he places it in his home to worship. And the other half he burns in his fireplace. Foolishness. In a similar way, however, as there was a force drawing that man to worship that image he just created from his own hand. Just as there was a power that had deceived him to think that somehow he's going to get benefit from that, like he got benefit from the wood in the fireplace, so the spirit of mammon as well deceives and draws and makes us think that we're going to get benefit from paper and metal. Money in and of itself is impotent. It has no power. It is made of wood and metal, just as the idols of old. But the power or force behind money, like the idols of old, is an evil spiritual power that wants to influence and control you and I and society. Thus, there is a real power behind the financial systems of our world, and it is not God. It is the spirit of mammon, and it is demanding worship, sacrifice, and service. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Same, it's, it, that was the effect, absolutely. And we're going to look at numerous places uh, in the scriptures where we see this dynamic of this spirit at work. And, and clearly, uh, it's there. Uh, real honestly, in the garden, it, it, it is a, it's a manifestation of that, that same dynamic of um, rulership, power, and authority coming through another means other than God. Most people, including Christians, believe the, that the real power is in money. Or it is simply in a human being's love for monies or things. But there is much more evil power behind money than most realize. What time is it? Anyone? Okay. How come the teacher always gets the mic? Um. At the last, we listed off a couple things like the Federal Reserve stock market, the IMF, the political system. Um, but then William here made a statement. He said, you know, yes, those places are, they, they, they have money, but, um, and money's neutral. And he made more of the statement about that it's really the heart of the people at it. Because, I mean, and all in all, the Federal Reserve may not be a bad thing, um, but if the Federal Reserve is controlled by people who want it to be bad, then it will be bad. 
Um, so, yeah, and I I gave the example about the heart, about the guy at the Fannie Mae who just, the family just found him um, in the basement. And he was, I mean, he had two kids and a wife, and money was of more value in the loss of it and his success with it or without it or lack of success that he took his own life. And so, yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm seeing fingers flicking now. Okay. Uh, some of the places that we identified, um, the mall, uh, just a lot of retail outlets in general. Um, someone even mentioned. Not Home Depot, though. It's not. Oh, there. no, no, not Home Depot. <laughs> that's, not not no, that's not the mall. That's right. not the mall. Um Unemployment and welfare office was mentioned, um, eBay, Craigslist, um, and not necessarily place, but even just choice of career or school. Uh, I need to go to this school if I'm going to get a good job so I can be secure. Um, and just some of the, I guess, like the feelings or emotions that go with it, uh, just a sense of there's never enough or inadequacy, insecurity, um, even going so far as anxiety, panic, suicide. One more. Um, in our group, we talked about kind of similar to what some of the other groups were talking about with the government and social programs and um, and some of the financial systems. Um, one of the things, I guess, that we came up with also was uh, on lawsuits. Like a lot of people have this lottery mentality. Is like all I need to do is is that one great settlement and I'm set for life. Mm. You know, wow. and there's that spirit there. And so we talk about that and then, you know, just the attitude of, of just, you know, with the, what money and money just sometimes makes it seem like it's like it is, you know, it's always you got to win it. And it sometimes brings out the worst tendencies that, uh, in us. So, yeah, we talk, you know, when you think of work, that whole stepping on others to get where we need to go. I don't, there's a saying we use for that. Um, did anybody put church on their list? Good job. It's at work there, too, here, too. All right. I want to uh, consider um, the purpose of this uh, demonic entity uh, called mammon. Um, we know that um, any spirit that's operative in Satan's kingdom, concluding that Paul's uh, communication to us is true, that there are powers, principalities all throughout our world. Some of them are principalities that are tied to geographical locations, and some of them are powers, rulers over, over uh, not geographic, but over um, kinds of things. We, we called it in the early days of Vineyard, we called it archetypes over uh, sin patterns even, um, alcoholism, that there's, there's demonic influence that has that as its job, so to speak. We know that um, the desire and the intention, the purpose of these entities is to turn the hearts of people away from God and, if possible, to worship of itself. We see that intention in the Garden of Eden. We see it in the temptations of Jesus. We see it throughout the scriptures. 
The primary purpose of the spirit of mammon is to obtain from people their affection, love, loyalty, worship, and service. Mammon loves to hear us refer to money, as we do in the U.S. currency, the almighty dollar. In Matthew 6, 24 and Luke 16, 13, Jesus identifies the conflict of love, loyalty, and service between God and mammon. He said that if you love one, you will hate the other. If you're loyal to one, you will despise the other. If you serve one, you cannot serve the other. The purpose of mammon is to get you to be loyal to, to love and serve it, so that by default you will hate, despise, rebel against God. As with all demonic entities, the primary assault upon us is not direct. You know, you're not woken up in the middle of the night with a demon standing in front of you holding out, you know, a million dollar bill or a lottery ticket. It's it's much more deceptive than that. The demonic influences operate out of a cloak of deception and lie. The primary tactic of mammon is to entice or tempt people to serve him, it, without realizing that they're doing it. The first lie that is, uh, that is purported here, there's a lot of different lies that the spirit perpetrates in order to hide and to hinder us from seeing the truth of it. The first one is, that I've already mentioned, is that there are no evil beings or forces in the world. Really good. If, if, if we've concluded through rationalistic scientific theory that there isn't a spiritual realm, then we're not going to worry about being influenced by them. Humankind is alone in their pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that's not true. There are forces pushing, pulling, and tempting us to rebel against God and his ways. Another lie that we've touched on already is that money itself contains power. The spirit of mammon purports that a person who has a lot of money is thought of as important and powerful, whereas a person with little money is thought of as vulnerable and unimportant. That's a perception. Now, you might think that's not a perception. That's right. Someone who has lots of money is important. Somebody who has lots of money is powerful because they have lots of money. I would say no. I would say that's a lie. The spirit of mammon tempts and entices people to place disproportionate value on that piece of paper, on those stocks, on those coins, gold bars. When people believe that money has power, they're tempted to love, seek, grasp money. It can happen to us in wanting a... a, um, a raise at work. I think that if I have more money, life will be better. I can get out of debt faster, but that isn't usually what most Americans do with a raise. Is it? They get in more debt. Oh, now I have more to spend. Not, oh great, now I've got more to give. I would advocate that that is a spirit of mammon that's at work, and it's a cloaking. We're, we're, we're deceived. 
And the trouble with being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. When people believe that money has power, they're tempted to love and pursue money. The love of money then gives rise to many other forms of wickedness, as the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 6.10. Paul says, for money is the root of all kinds of evil. No, it doesn't. It says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What's the goal? What's the purpose of mammon's spirit? Kill and destroy. The love of money, the root of all evil, kinds of evil, it leads to craving and people pierce themselves with many sorrows. Christians who believe the lie that money has power will often allow their decisions to be governed by money rather than God. Whether it's a special offering to support missions or whether it's to go on the missions trip themselves. Rather than consulting God, they conclude, I don't have the money to go. I don't have the money to give. What's making that decision? Mammon. Spirit of mammon. Our deceptions. Some combination there. Let me say this about demonic influence. Um, I, I need to make a sidelight on this. We typically in the American Christian church culture have been trained um, by the King James Version of the scriptures, the translation there, that uh, when people are... Um, have demonic influence that they are possessed. And we go to the texts of the uh, demoniac, Gerasene demoniac who had the thousand demons, and we say that's what it looks like to be demonized. That's what it looks like to be possessed. But there is no such word as demon possessed in the Greek language. There is not two words, it's one, and it is best translated demonized. Dominozoi is the Greek word. And my studies and training have suggested that rather than that looking like a possession is that there is a sliding scale that we can be bothered a little bit by demonic influence or we can be bothered a lot. Now, you don't have to buy that, but I think it's important as we talk about this that I'm not advocating that anybody in this room is probably possessed by the spirit of mammon. But I would advocate that all of us are bothered. Some of us a little more than others, and some less so than others. I'm thoughtful of um, a, a gentleman in my, in my life that I, I, I'm in awe of. I mean, I, I'm not in the sense I'm worshiping him or anything like that, but I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of, of this individual who seems to have such freedom from the entanglements of the world systems. I know him pretty well. I don't know, you know, everything about him. He may have some deep, dark secrets that I'm not aware of, but I don't think so. But he, he just seems to walk in this freedom of, you just don't hear these siding comments, yeah, well, if I could win the lottery or, 
you know, you know, there's just none of that stuff that comes out of my mouth <laughs> sometimes. I guess that's why I'm in awe of him. Anyway. Okay. I was talking, oh, I was talking about demonization. Thank you. Just to conclude that. So anyway, I think you got it. I, I think when we talk about this, we're talking about being bothered by a spirit of, of mammon. Uh, some of you are just bothered a little bit. You, some of you just, you know, you go to the checkout stand and, and you can feel its presence. But you're not that influenced. You don't buy the candy bar, um, you know, or the gum for your child. Um, instead, you know, you're able to recognize that pull, that temptation is what it is. And you go, get out of here, whatever. All right. Um, if we empower money, or more accurately, the spirit of mammon, to govern our choices in life, then without realizing it, we are empowering the spirit of mammon to rule our lives. We are giving it the right. If we make our decisions based on whether we have the money or not. Now, I'm not saying there isn't appropriate stewardship of God's resources. We're going to talk about that. That's coming. This, this is the front end first of recognizing that there is a power, a spirit at work that's, that wants to control and influence you and steal your love for God for it. Okay, that's, that's what we're talking about. That as, I've, as I've said before, money itself has no power. It's paper. It's amoral. It is an impotent object. But the spirit of mammon ascribes to it great power and through it attempts to influence and control the lives of people. A similar lie believed by many is that the source of one's provision is their parents, their employer, their spouse, their investments, or some channel through which money is supplied. My source, the provision of my life is my, my work. That is a, that's a lie that is purported, that is believed by most people, Christians included. The key issue here is, though, who or what is my source? The spirit of mammon will continually attempt to convince us that the real power of life is in money and that the channel through which it comes is our source. Somebody brought up the, the lottery and somebody brought up uh, lawsuits. The, the reason why they're, they're, that pursuit of that is because that source, that money will bring them happiness. That money will make them secure. That provision. So they value that and they spend money to get money. Uh, the quick get-quick-rich schemes. The, the, you know, I was looking for a job for, gosh, a, whole, a long time uh, last year. And um, being a business manager, administrative accountant type person, um, I got lots of these connections and emails from my listing out on the website for here, start your own business or, you know, make $3,000 a day, right? You heard that? Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, there are people, but I, I, many of them, anyway, let's not go there. Okay. Okay, when I believe that something other than God is my source, then I become a slave to mammon, doing whatever I perceive is necessary to get money. There's that piercing of things. I've got to get money. So how can I get money? Well, at a low-end circumstance, it's, okay, I can, I can go to work, or I can uh, mow the lawn if I'm a kid, or I can um, um, sell car washes or, or something. I make money. But then 
that isn't enough. And so then we go on to what are some other ways I can make money? What are some other ways I can get money? And on and on that deception goes and leads us into wickedness, greater and greater wickedness and evil. It's clear we can see that. The truth is that all provision is from God. God is our source. James tells us in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. How many of the get-rich schemes are shifting shadows? How many of the career opportunities, how many of the, you know, the buy it on the TV set? My, my mother, bless her heart, she's passed away a few years ago. She would watch, you know, TV. It's what she did, you know, those last few years. She's alone, right, whatever. And she's just buying all that stuff that pops up on the screen because it's going to make her healthy and strong. It's going to give her vitality. She's going to be like she was 20 again. Whatever, Right? This, that, those are spirits, friends, that are grappling for our emotions and our affections and our hearts. When, we, when we're clear that God is our source, then we never need to see money as a goal or end in our life. Money should never be the goal or end. If God is our source, then we can truly be free to seek first God's kingdom and what is right in his eyes. We don't need to fear for lack. That's what that passage of scripture is all about, where Jesus is highlighting the sparrows and and they don't sow and reap, and yet your God provides for them, and yada, yada. Therefore, seek first the kingdom of God. God knows you have those needs. Don't worry about that. That's a spirit of mammon that wants you to worry about that, that wants you to grasp and grapple and, and get, oh my gosh, I've got I to gotta worry, I've got to find a better job, I can't, I can't pay my bills, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Well, you're sure not going to give in the offering. Neither are you going to go on a missions trip, nor are you going to be able to supply a friend who's in need. And all of that are things that God would want you free to do, to seek first his kingdom. God, what do you want me to do with this extra money? I just got a raise, God. Wow, it's thousand extra dollars a month. What do you, who's it for? What's it for? I, I have always simply concluded, great, God's blessing me. Hot dog, I'm seeing the scriptures come true. He loves me. Let's buy a boat. We, we own, we are buying... With a, another friend in the church, a 1980 Galaxy ski boat. And um, to bless the church with, absolutely. All right. When we are clear that God is our master and our source, then as stewards called to manage money under his direction, money will no longer be our master. Instead, money will become our slave. Our slave to enable us to serve God and expand his kingdom. Sadly, many Christians caught in bondage to the spirit of mammon do not use their money to serve God, but rather try to use God to get more money. 
The purpose of the spirit of mammon then is to turn our eyes and then our hearts away from God to believe lies about the power of money and to trap us into the love of money, which then gives rise to many other forms of rebellion and wickedness. I'm going to stop there. Not all I had. We're, it's going to take a couple of weeks to get through this piece, so I hope you're just patient and will return um, to, to be with us. Um, I recognize, you know, my goal, I think my goal is supposed to be on a Sunday morning to give you a concise, um, you know, piece of something that encourages you and, and helps you in your week, and I, I hope I've done that. Um, um, you know, this we, we've been instructed about finances all our lives through the world systems. And, you know, I, I can't give you in 45 minutes, you know, all that God's word teaches us about the mammon spirit. So it's, it's going to take me a couple weeks just to do this one building block. But it's crucial. And, and um, my daughter even raised a question a moment to me ago that I'm going to address next week as well. Just kind of she's wrestling with something as I talk about this. So I, 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 and we may even, you know what, you know, that interaction kind of a thing. I did little groups thing and maybe, uh, not maybe, I will facilitate some kind of question answer maybe even as we go through some of this. Uh, we're small here. You know, this isn't 10,000 people. It's not 5,000 people. It's about 70 <laughs> And uh, we can do things that, that uh, can't be done in some other places. And so uh, if, if along the way you're, you're having questions or wondering, you know, my email is on every piece of paper there that you've got in your hand or will get. Uh, it's on our website. Uh, it's randym at vineyardsa.org. It's pretty easy. Uh, not vineyardusa.org, which is our national website, uh, but vineyardsa. Um, sure. The subject line's important to me. Um, I get, we all get way too much email. And if I don't know the person's name, then I look at that subject line to try and see, is it something really related? And is it to me? Um, I don't know if you guys do that on your ways, but I, I look at who it's to. And if it's not to Randy Moranville, uh, and I don't know the name, I don't open it. I delete it. Um, just, just way too much stuff. So subject line, hey, Randy question for you from Sunday's message. Got it. I'll open it. I'll call you, whatever we need to do. All right, let's pray. Papa, I I am so thankful that you love us. That you have, you you didn't just throw up your hands and say, oh, well, when we, um, you know, messed up in the garden. And when we messed up last year and uh, when we messed up uh, in our first marriage. um, You love us. And you long for us to experience fullness of life. Not fullness of life as defined by our world systems. But fullness of life according to your principles and your ways. And rather than 3% interest, your scripture talks about a hundredfold. If I invest $10, I'm going to have 1000 Not if I invest $10, I'm going to have $10.30.
or whatever the numbers are. So, Lord, I don't want to live in this world's economy. I want your economy. I like it a lot better. Lord, I would like that picture from 1 Corinthians to be the picture of Clara's in my life. That we always have a surplus of enough that we never need personal aid. We don't need a loan. We don't need support. And that we have enough to give to anybody who has need. Or any ministry. Or every opportunity. Well, that's that, man, that would be awesome. What if we all, everybody in this room was that free? And, were, and had all these other principles, how much is enough, uh, closing the circle, uh, that we're stewards. Lord, if we had all these pieces in place, that's the only time that system's going to work. Because otherwise, we're just going to spend it on ourselves. And we're going to get caught in the traps that have been set for us in, in the areas. This is a, this is, it, it, it's an area that looks clear, but has zillions of landmines. So help us this week, uh, Lord, even this week as, a, as an individual exercise, to begin to just be alert, to begin to be aware more about the spirit of mammon. As we go, as we go to work, as we turn on the radio, we watch the movies, we turn on the, the TV, we, we're at work in a business meeting. Lord, just help us to become more alert, to recognize this spirit that's at work. That's the first step we need here. And then after that, we're, we can begin to, to uh, make a process of renouncing it. But first, we've got to see it. And so I ask that you to open our eyes to, to see the pull of this spirit um, on us. And help us, Lord, to be those that are, are suppliers to others rather than being those who are graspers to get. In Jesus' name. While Randy was teaching that there were folks in the room that were feeling shaky inside. Um, Like what was being taught is just so relevant to your life. And that shakiness is the presence of God coming to empower you to set you free. Because, you know, you're place where you are in that graduation that Randy talked about, in my place, we're in different places, and maybe they're over different things. But God wants us free. That's where he needs to start. This is why this foundation is so important. So one, I want to help you understand what you were experiencing was God saying, I want to free you, and there's something here that is troubling, that's separating uh, uh, intimacy between you and I, between the Lord and you. So that I want to acknowledge um, the other thing is, I felt like the Lord said, for us as a body, be very, very careful that when we're listening to the messages, we do not say, oh, that's like so-and-so. And if we did that already this morning, we need to tell the Lord, wow, I'm sorry, you got me. Because what he wants is he wants to say, this is you. This is where you are. And I want to set you free. I want to remove the plank in your eye so you can help somebody else who has a splinter in their eye. And so um, if that's something there, then, you know, just repent before the Lord right now. Lord, I'm sorry. 
And you may not even said it out loud, but you thought it. And, you know, the Lord knows our thoughts. And they equal what we said. And so he would like us to hold on to, Lord, what is it you want to teach me? What do you want to set me free from in relationship to the spirit of mammon? And he will honor that. He is going to honor that in all of us. Okay, so um, are there any other words from from y'all, from the Lord? I am so excited to come. And now, those of you that have missed last week because you're working with the kids or your first time here, you can get the messages through um, or in somewhere. Yeah. It's on the church website. That sounds good. Because um, you, you're not going to want to miss it. You're not going to want to miss what the Holy Spirit is doing and the instruction is coming to us. So what I want to do is I first want to acknowledge those of you who felt that, that shakiness, that sense of God's presence. If you would just extend your hand, because God wants to take something from you to give. So just put, sitting down, I want you to stand up. Just sit down and put your hands out. And let just do some business with God. You know, the um, opening of our hands is required in order to receive. Um, the lifting of hands like this is a symbol of I surrender. So we, we're advocates of physical involvement because they make declarations. They help our inner being to engage with what we're trying to see happen. Too many of us live our lives with clutched hands around our money and around our things. And God wants us to learn to become those who have open hands so that we can receive and give. Mm-hmm. So let's just uh, get in that posture of allowing him to, to take something from us in order to give to us. And uh, Father, I ask that you would break over us the mindset that our source is in our job, our source is in our health. Our source is um, in our parents' capacity to take care of us. Father, that our source is in education. Father, that our source is in anything but you, Lord. If we were to lose our parent, if we were to lose our job, if we were to lose our health, Lord, what would we do? Would we freak out or we say nothing's changed? My source is still God. So, Father, I pray that that question would just now be there for us. And, Father, that we would be um, vulnerable before you and say, Lord, I have had other gods. I have trusted in other things. And you've been merciful, Lord, to let me see it. So, Lord, I pray you would take the you would take the other thing now, Father, from our hearts. And, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We, we ask you that you would cleanse us from the demonic power of mammon. That you would deliver us, Lord, from that spirit that has wedged itself between you me or set us free 
from putting sources on anything, on anybody but you. Set us free, Lord. Remove, Father, the anxiety of even doing this prayer, Lord. Father, some people are experiencing fear right now of what is going to happen if I don't trust in my capacity to work. And Father, I just pray now that you would deliver your people that by your mercies, Lord, your compassion, and you would deliver them, Father, from that fear that is attached to that spirit. And Lord, thank you that you take and you give. You take away, Lord, and you give. And today you want to take tormentors from our people. Dear Lord. And Father, we pray now that you would give your peace. It's going to be okay because I'm your source. I don't change. I never get bankrupt. I never change my mind. I don't sleep. I provide. Father, you release your spirit of provision now as the source. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Now, um, you got some? Okay. Um, if you need prayer for anything else, or you're sensing like, I, I need more engagement right now in prayer, would you please stand, and we're going to have community groups leaders come and minister to you. So just go ahead and stand where you are. You need to come up. Or raise your hand. Let me do it from there. Just raise your hand so we can identify you. Okay. Alrighty. There's three folks. Okay. Community group folks, you see those three hands? And go to them. If you're from their community group, could you go to them? I think uh, David's community group is mainly upstairs, so if we could have some other folks go and minister to David. Okay, read those scriptures that Randy gave at the beginning of the service, all those piled up scriptures, read them, and let the word of God begin to break your mindsets so you can grasp the teaching from today. Okay, so anybody else in these prayer that you guys can just come on up and we'll be more than happy to minister to you. Bless you guys, we'll see you next week. <laughs>